It has stood the test of time. God's book, the Bible, still relevant in today's complex world. It is written, sharing messages of hope around the world. You know, friends, foundations are everything. Without a foundation, buildings will collapse under their own weight. In fact, Jesus himself told a parable about two builders. One who built his house upon the sand, the other who built his house upon the rock. Now, when the floods came, only the house built upon the solid foundation of the rock survived. It is in the same way that each of us, as we are building our spiritual house, we need to build that house on a solid foundation. What is the foundation that we need to build upon? How can we build it? And what happens if we choose not to build it on a solid foundation? Now, over the course of the next several weeks, we will talk about building on solid spiritual foundations so our spiritual house is built to last. Now, here to help me along in that discussion, I have a friend and colleague, Carl Sotolabasidis. Carl, welcome to It Is Written Canada. Well, thanks, Chris, for having me. It's good to be uh, back home for me. Yeah, well, I, that, that's what I was going to first ask. Tell us a little bit about yourself, Carl. Sure. I was uh, born and raised in Toronto, Canada, the greater Toronto area, and I basically uh, lived here until I was in my early 20s. And then, uh, as fate would have it, I went to school and have found myself in the States now for a little over 25 years. Okay, well, well so we want to welcome you back home. Now, you went down to the States and you actually have experience in pastoral ministry. You pastored for about 18 years. And then you had a kind of a new calling in life. Where did life lead? Uh, and not that you ever stopped pastoring. You're kind of always a pastor. But where did life take you after pastoral ministry? Yes, when I was finishing up like the master's program at Andrews University and I had begun pastoring for a few years, I really wanted to study a little bit more in depthly into the issues of worship, music, the sanctuary, things like that. And so as I began to do that, I began to develop seminar materials and that, and that kind of took me to various places. And I thought to myself, wow, I'd really like to do this a little more. I'd like to be able to share some of the things that I've been learning and go to different places. And I thought, you know, I, I'd, I'd want to go back to school. And so I did end up going back to school. And then I ended up teaching. Uh, as I think about my own conversion experience, I was converted uh, when I was in my early 20s on a, at York University, not too far from here. And so uh, I really thought to myself, you know, young people are really where it's at, all the energy, the enthusiasm, the ideas. And I thought, you know, teaching would really be some, uh, something that I could appreciate and feel like I could make a contribution. So after pastoring, it was kind of natural for me then to go into five years of teaching. And I've, I've been doing that ever since. That is really exciting. And, and I'll tell you, some, some probably caught your, your story there and they said, oh, he was converted. What's his conversion story? And so to the viewer, I'm going to tell them, you're going to want to hang on. You're going to want to hang on because we're going to come back to Carl's story about the midst of this series and how God worked in a mighty way. 
But, you know, Carl, you're a Ph.D. candidate. You're actually in the home stretch of finishing up. And so uh, instead of calling you Pastor Carl, we're going to have to call you Dr. Carl here uh, uh, very soon. But, you know, Carl, I've invited you here because sometime back I did a series uh, called The Jerusalem Factor. Mm. Now, in that series, and to our viewers or listeners, if you haven't seen The Jerusalem Factor or heard it, you can go to our YouTube channel, youtube.com forward slash IIW Canada, and there you can watch the archives. Now, Pastor Carl, as we were going through that, we asked this fundamental question. Is it possible that people are looking in the wrong direction? And here's what I meant by that. You know, much of the Christian world and even actually a significant portion, portion of the secular world have been looking toward the literal Jerusalem for a literal temple to be rebuilt after what would be a massive Middle East war, but would culminate in this building of a literal temple. And we ended that series by saying, you know, I don't, I don't know if a temple in Jerusalem will be rebuilt. I just don't know. We can't predict that. Mm -hmm. However, we simply asked the question, is it possible that everybody's looking toward Jerusalem Mm -hmm. and a literal temple, but actually our attention should be focused elsewhere. And the text that we looked at is that text in the book of Hebrews. And so why don't we go to Hebrews, Hebrews chapter eight and verse one and verse two that says this. Now, this is the main point of the things we are saying. We have such a high priest who is seated at the right hand of the throne of the majesty in the heavens a minister of the sanctuary and of the true tabernacle, which the Lord erected and not man. Hmm. And so the question I want to ask you, as you have been exploring in your PhD studies, as you have explored through your teaching, you said one of your areas, and it is an area of expertise, and that is the sanctuary. Mm -hmm. So I'm going to ask you a really broad question. All right. What is the sanctuary? Wow. Well, you know, Chris, uh, this subject is so vast that according to some research researchers, that if you were to take all the aspects of the Bible and kind of compile them in chapter form under the heading of the sanctuary, you'd, you'd probably have about 50 chapters that are devoted to this subject. Wow. And so this is an incredibly vast topic that we're talking about here, and it's very comprehensive. And it involves just about everything. The sanctuary is connected to just about everything you can imagine. Uh, the presence of God is really the main component, so to speak, if you want to refer to God that way, uh, in the sanctuary. But you also have God, you have Christ, uh, who's, who's really the main part of uh, the Godhead in the sanctuary. You have all these ritual actions that are connected with the sanctuary. It's a structure, it's a building. Uh, so it's connected to the things uh, of the material universe. Um, again, it's really the most intricately connected topic that there possibly is. But the question, you know, what, what is the sanctuary? I mean, really plainly speaking, it's a structure. It is a structure. Uh, we were just in Hebrews chapter 8. Okay. We could go over to Hebrews chapter 9. All right. And in Hebrews chapter 9, you get kind of a succinct view there that the apostle gives us of the sanctuary. And so I'm going to begin right here with verse 1. It says, Then verily the first covenant had also ordinances of a divine service and a worldly or an earthly sanctuary. For there was a tabernacle made, the first, wherein was the candlestick, the table, and the showbread, which is called the sanctuary, 
and after the second veil, the tabernacle which is the holiest of all. Now in verse 4 it says, which had the golden censer. Now in fact the golden censer was part of the holy place, but the apostle here is bringing out the fact that when the priests ministered in the sanctuary and they ministered where the golden censer was that offered the incense, they were brought almost into the immediate contact of the presence of God. And so it was so closely associated with the presence of God in the most holy place that the apostle here says, which had the golden censer. Okay. And then it moves on. It says, and, and the Ark of the Covenant overlaid round about with gold, wherein was the golden pot that had manna and Aaron's rod that budded and the tables of the covenant and over it the cherubim of glory shadowing the mercy seat of which we cannot now speak particularly. And uh, so then it describes the activities of the high priest going in there once a year into the, into the most holy place. So here we have the sanctuary really as a, as a structure. Uh, it was an earthly structure and I think when most people think of the sanctuary they think of that earthly structure that the Jews, uh, that the Jews had erected. But I think what, I, what we really need to underscore here is that um, the heavenly sanctuary was a reality way before the Jewish structure ever showed up. Now you took us to, uh, to Hebrews chapter 8 verses yes. 1 and 2 yes. and that made it very clear there in verse 2 that Jesus is a minister of the sanctuary and of the true tabernacle which the Lord pitched and not man. Uh, another very interesting text in Jeremiah chapter 17, Jeremiah chapter 17 in verse 12, the ancient prophet brings this out as well. He says, a glorious high throne from the beginning is the place of our sanctuary. Okay. So a glorious high throne from the beginning is the place of our sanctuary. Now, we're going to hit the pause button here because we've covered a lot of ground and I want to, and there might be somebody sitting there saying, whoa, 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 this is kind of a lot really fast. So let's, let's go back to Hebrews 8.1 and then we're going to come right back here. Yes. Hebrews 8.1 begins with these words written by the apostle. Now, the book of Hebrews was written, undoubtedly, it was authored by Paul, whether Paul actually wrote it with his hands or dictated it to a scribe. No doubt, Paul is writing this. He's writing to a group of believers and he uses this and he says, now this is the main point. And the reason I want to come back to this because we're talking about foundations. We're talking about establishing our spiritual house. That word, their main point, it's this Greek word that means the chief capstone, the chief cornerstone. Both of them are used to describe this word. And of course, in ancient buildings, the cornerstone was that which kept everything together. And then Paul says and points us to the sanctuary in heaven. Then you quoted from Hebrews 9, which talked about a sanctuary on the earth. I asked you, what is a sanctuary? And you said, it's a structure. And you started naming off all these things. Mm -hmm. And then we went to Jeremiah, where we said this sanctuary has existed from the very beginning of time. So we need to unpack all of that a little bit. Heavenly sanctuary, how do we get an earthly sanctuary? Help us kind of understand, and we're going to come back to this, because what we're going to see and what we're going to be spending time on over the next several weeks is, you said something very important, the sanctuary is connected to everything. Yes. And because it's connected to everything, and I, I don't want to take us too far along before we get there, but because it's connected to everything, that means the sanctuary is actually connected to me 
and my growth as a Christian. We're going to cover, because some people are saying, I've never heard this before. We're going to actually spend a lot of time talking about why we don't hear about this anymore. But let's talk about this. We have a heavenly sanctuary, which the book of Jeremiah says has existed since the beginning. But then somehow we got an earthly sanctuary. Let's unpack that a little bit, Carl. How are these things existing and what does that mean for us? Okay. You brought up the, the, uh, that word, this is the main point. You know, out of all that the apostle uh, talks about in the book of Hebrews, which is an amazing book, 13 chapters, and it covers so much. There's contrast between uh, the, uh, the uh, uh, first covenant and then the second covenant, between the Levitical priesthood and then Christ's priesthood, uh, between an earthly sanctuary and a heavenly sanctuary. And here he's saying, out of all that I'm saying, this is the main point, that, we actually ha that there actually exists a reality up there that is called the heavenly sanctuary. Um, and I think the context here is important, uh, the historical context here. You know, Jesus prophesied in Matthew 24 that not one stone would be left upon another that shall not be thrown down. As the disciples were looking at the temple and, the, and showing him the buildings of the temple, this is what Jesus said. Yes. And so all of their hopes and dreams were connected with the services that were involved in that sanctuary, and they couldn't think of life without that. And so here the apostle is kind of preparing them as that earthly sanctuary was about to be destroyed. And we'll get to how the earthly is a copy in just a minute. But uh, he's preparing them and saying, look, uh, Christ has entered into the heavenly sanctuary and we're to base our hopes uh, and our aspirations uh, and our anchor in him up there. And so this is so central. And, and as we're going to continue on, that even in the Old Testament times, as there was an earthly sanctuary, it was... Everything they did was oriented around the heavenly. So getting back to the earthly concept, how did this, how did this originate? And I think we need to go back to the book of Exodus. That sounds uh, for, good. For a moment there. And, and one of the things I want to point out is yeah. as we're turning to the book of Exodus, uh, Pastor Carl, you and I are going to use two words probably interchangeably for the next several weeks that we're together. We're going to use the word temple yes. and the word sanctuary, and we're going to use those interchangeably. Correct. Maybe help us just a little bit as we turn to Exodus, help us a little bit and understand why those words are interchangeable words. Yes, very good. Um, in Exodus chapter, uh, oh, is it 25, verses 8 and 9, uh, this is Moses, and uh, it says, Let them make me a sanctuary that I may dwell among them, according to all that I show thee after the pattern of the tabernacle and the pattern of all the instruments thereof, even, even so shall you make it. Uh, and so there was an earthly tent, and that sanctuary had existed for several centuries. But if you remember, David uh, wanted to build a sanctuary for God as well. He wanted to actually build a temple, and God told him that uh, because he was a man of war that he would not be able to build that temple, but his son Solomon would build that, build that temple. And then there you have a more permanent structure. In the time of Moses, it was that earthly tent was built in such a way that uh, the Levites could go ahead and disassemble it and carry it from place to place as they sojourned. But then as eventually they began to settle in Jerusalem, you have a, a, a massive temple then that was, that was built. And so the temple kind of more reminds us of the, the temple that Solomon built and then the tent. You have the earthly structure that, uh, that, that Moses built. Okay. Yeah. So... Let's go and dwell here a moment with Exodus 25. So Hebrews 8 describes a heavenly reality. 
And we're going to come to this in just a moment because some people will say, oh, this is symbolic. This is, but it would appear that it is a reality. How did we get the earthly? You just read Exodus 25. Mm -hmm. That says it was a copy. Well, what was it a copy of? The only thing that it could be a copy of was the heavenly. If you go to verse 40 of Exodus chapter 25 as well, mm -hmm. it says, and look that thou make them after their pattern, which was showed thee in the mount. Uh, and, and even Hebrews 8 talks about the fact that the heavenly is the true and that the earthly is a copy of the heavenly. And so the original pattern, the original structure, the original design is something that came to the Bible writers through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. Actually, I'm thinking about a text here in First uh, Chronicles just to, just to alert us to the fact that the Bible, the Bible uh, claims that this was inspired by the Holy Spirit. And so this is First Chronicles chapter um, 28 okay. and verse 12. Just a bit of context here. Uh, this is David assembling all the people of, of Jerusalem together and giving Solomon a charge in, in, in building it. And if you look at verse 12, it says, And the pattern of all that he had by the Spirit of the courts of the Lord and all of the chambers round about the treasuries of the house of God and of the treasuries of the dedicated things. And so this pattern here was revealed by the Holy Spirit. And verse 19 also of First Chronicles 28, it says, All this, said David, the Lord made me understand in writing by his hand upon me even the works of this pattern. And so whether it was the earthly, uh, or whether it was the tent structure, rather, that uh, God revealed to Moses, or the temple, it was, it was something that was revealed by God because a reality already pre-existed that, which is why we went to the Jeremiah text when Jeremiah reminded us that, hey, from the very beginning, there has been a glorious sanctuary where God met, uh, met with his people there. And it's interesting in Jeremiah's text, it says this is the place of our sanctuary. Now, the earthly temple existed in Jeremiah's day, and so I think it's significant that he would say that even as they're assembling around the earthly, it's almost like the earthly was a projection of the heavenly, and as they were worshiping toward the earthly, it was actually a worship toward, toward the heavenly as well, which we'll get into in just a minute. And so uh, the, pattern, the patterns are definitely there. As a matter of fact, um, let's look at some of the dynamic interaction that happens. Okay. Even in the Old Testament, because, you know, people think, well, in the Old Testament, yes, there was uh, the sanctuary, the temple provided the place where everything revolved around, and, and that was it, and there was kind of no connection between the heavenly and the earthly. And so... Let's go to 1 Kings chapter 8, and this is referring to the, uh, the dedication of the temple, and Solomon is about to, and Solomon is actually praying here, and I just want to draw our attention to the fact that when he prays, he's actually directing his prayer towards God in heaven, and actually asking God to hear from that perspective. And so we'll pick it up at, um, let's see, let's Let's pick it up at verse 29, if okay, we will. Sure. First, uh, First Kings chapter 8, verse 29. It states, That thine eyes may be open toward this house night and day, even toward the place of which thou hast said, My name shall be there. And thou mayest hearken unto the prayer which thy servant shall make towards this place. 
And hearken thou to the supplication of thy servant and of thy people Israel when they shall pray toward this place and hear thou in heaven thy, thy dwelling place and when thou hearest, forgive. And so you'll find this pattern in, in uh, various places throughout this chapter. For instance, you'll go to verse 33. When your people Israel be smitten down before the enemy because they have sinned against thee and shall turn again to thee and confess thy name and pray and make supplication unto thee in this house, then hear thou in heaven and forgive the sin of thy people and bring them again unto the land which thou gavest their fathers. Now, I won't read the rest of the text. I'll just mention the references. Verse 36 says, hear thou in heaven, you know, the, thy dwelling place. Verse 39, the same thing. Verse 43, the exact same thing. So here we have Solomon. They're all gathered around the earthly. He is praying, but yet he's asking God to hear from his dwelling place, from his sanctuary, from his temple up in heaven. And so there's actually a dynamic interaction. Now, there's a parallel passage to 1 Kings 8, and that's 2 Chronicles chapter 5 uh, to 7. Okay. At the end of Solomon's prayer in 2 Chronicles chapter 7, verses 1 to 3, in order to show God's approval of the way that they had built the sanctuary and everything else, well, you know, he came down in a miraculous way and smoke filled the temple. The priests couldn't enter in. Sure. And so you have this dynamic interaction going on between Solomon directing his prayer toward heaven and then, and then heaven, of course, acknowledging that with a mighty outpouring of God's spirit there. So there's this dynamic interaction going on. That's really exciting. So let's, let's just cover a little bit of the ground, review what we've talked about. The book of Hebrews makes very clear, as well as the book of Jeremiah, that there is a literal sanctuary in heaven that has existed since the very beginning of time. Then in the past, during the time of Moses, Moses was given instructions. Moses built a wilderness sanctuary, a, a temporary structure that was able to be put up and taken down as the children of Israel moved throughout the regions there. Later in the time of the kings with David and Solomon, they build a more permanent structure, which is also a copy of the heavenly. This is now why, and, and we want to come back to this issue of foundations. This is why the sanctuary is so vital, because if what you're saying is true and what we are reading is true is this, the interaction between the heavenly and the sanctuary demonstrates to us that A, God has a plan, and B, God expects his children, his people to follow that plan because worship, and we're going to spend a whole, a whole session talking about worship, but our worship mm -hmm. is a dynamic interaction with the heavenly sanctuary because the heavenly is, because sometimes we just disconnect heaven and earth. Heaven's up there, earth's down here, and there's no interaction. But in reality, the two of those actually are interacting in such a way that our worship on this earth is actually worship that is happening in the very heavenly sanctuary itself. Mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And so, Carl, let's, let's talk about this as we have just a few minutes left in this and our time has just flown by. But as we talk about this Old Testament dynamic interaction, are there a couple of New Testament texts that might talk us about that interaction between the heavenly and the earthly sanctuary? Yes, yes, there are. Actually, let's turn back to Hebrews again. Hebrews is just such a pivotal book uh, for our subject matter. Let's go to Hebrews chapter 12. Okay. And we'll pick it up at verse 18. 
So we'll be in Hebrews chapter 12, and we'll pick it up in verse 18, and roughly to, well, as we make commentary, it actually ends at verse 29. It says, For ye are not come unto the mount that might be touched, and that burned with fire, nor unto blackness, and darkness, and tempest, and the sound of a trumpet, and the voice of words, which voice they that heard, entreated that the words should not be spoken to them any more, for they could not endure that which was commanded. And if so much as a beast touched the mountain, it shall be stoned or thrust through with a dart. And so terrible was the sight that Moses said, I exceedingly fear and quake. Now I'm going to stop there for a moment. What the apostle is saying is that when we come and gather together, whether it's for... Um, a session that you and I are doing right now as right. we're talking about spiritual things or whether it's in a church, we're actually orienting ourselves toward the heavenly. But what he first says is that when you're come together, you didn't come to that literal mountain back in Exodus chapter 20 on Mount Sinai. That's right. So you're not coming there. And so in verse 22, it switches gears. He says, you're not coming to that literal mountain where I spoke the Ten Commandments and and even Moses said, I'm, you know, I'm really afraid. It says, but you are come unto Mount Zion and unto the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem, and into, to an innumerable company of angels, to the general assembly and church of the firstborn, which are written in heaven, and to God the judge of all, and to the spirits of just men made perfect, and to Jesus, the mediator of the new covenant, and to the blood of sprinkling that speaks better things than that of Abel. And I'll stop there for a moment. So you're not coming to Mount Sinai where the Ten Commandments were proclaimed. You're coming to the mountain in heaven, the heavenly Jerusalem. And this is where the saints of God, as we are worshiping all over the planet, when we're worshiping here in Canada or in the U.S. or in South America or in Asia or in Africa, whenever God's people are coming together in a corporate sense, although we're all geographically scattered all over the place, we're not just orienting ourselves to some earthly location. It's saying we're actually orienting ourselves toward that heavenly Jerusalem where the presence of God is. It mentions God as the judge there. It mentions the blood of the covenant and Christ being there. It also mentions the angelic host. So the angelic host and us are all together in this. There's a dynamic interaction going on. And as, as, as the word of God is preached, notice the appeal in verse 25 of, of uh, Hebrews chapter 12. It says, see that you refuse not him that speaketh. For if they escape not who refused him that spoke on earth, much more shall we not escape if we turn away from him that speaks from heaven. And so as God's word is spoken from heaven through the, through the living preacher on earth, we are all gathered together. There's a dynamic interaction going on. Now, Pastor Carl, this is exciting. We're going to come back to this text, but we are, we are just out of time. But here's the powerful thing that we end on today. When we worship God, we actually come into his very presence, That's which is in thing. the heavenly sanctuary. Amen. Let's pray on that as we end today, but we'll continue next week. Heavenly Father, we are so grateful that we're not left alone, but we can be with you in the heavenly sanctuary. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.
friends, today's program was jam-packed with information. Are you interested in building your spiritual foundation on the solid rock, Jesus Christ? If you are, I invite you to call our toll-free number. There you can enroll in our Correspondence Bible School. We also have people standing by who can pray with you for any of your special prayer requests. Pastor Carl, I want to thank you so much for joining us today. It's been a privilege to be here. Thank you. And friend, I hope you enjoyed today's program. I invite you to join us again next week. Until then, remember, it is written, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God.